are again. Yeah, back again. It's been eight weeks. Six. Six. February short. Is it? The shortest month of the year. Well, only if you look at it through any kind of mathematical calculation. I've told you many times that we're not talking about math on the big rhetorical podcast. You see, all right, so the one thing, so students having their phones out, that doesn't really bother me at all. Sure. Hell, one of my students is knitting in class this semester. That doesn't, doesn't bother me. But I do have two students who are constantly, like, talking about math things before class, and I just shut that shit down. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's your co-host, Matt, sharing for you the Big Rhetorical Podcast. This is a humanities podcast. <laughs> we do not give a shit about your empirical sciences, your calculuses, your physics um, addition. <laughs> and I'm your other co-host, Charles Woods. And uh, Matt, besides... The math. Uh, quick check-in. How's your uh, semester going? How about a midterm report? Midterm report. Things are good. Uh, one major project down, two to go. Attendance is good. Um, I teach three days a week this semester, which uh, sucks. I'd rather only be on campus twice a week. Agreed. I'm on the three-day-a-week schedule, and we turned in our teaching preferences forms this week's for the next semester. And I put on there Monday, Wednesday, or Tuesday, Thursday. Hopefully, I'll get that. Well, if I get a three-day week schedule again in the fall, I think I might just quit the program and quit academia and uh, you know become some kind of hermit. I don't know. It seemed fine in that uh, Kafka novel. I don't know. One of them. Right. <laughs> well, um, that's interesting. But, yeah, I mean, classes are going well. My I'm teaching English 145, writing in the academic disciplines. So I'm just leaving it really open to my students. Whatever they want to write about is fine by me. Uh, I try to push them so they write about stuff actually related to their discipline. Um, We just did podcasts, which I cannot recommend enough as an assignment. Why? I think I mentioned it on this show once before how easy it is to grade them. Oh, yeah. It's super expedient. You can type out your comments while you're listening to them. Or you could record them. Like a a digital podcast conversation. Ooh, I like the way you think. Didn't you write a grassroots journal article about that? No, my grassroots journal article was about how to build a writing researcher identity based on instructor commentary on assignments. Huh. So unless you attend in- Illinois State University, none of that made any sense to you? That's true. So in terms of my class, I'm also teaching 145. I didn't finish talking about my class. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm done. All right. Uh, and like you, I'm on unit two. Uh, I did not do podcasts uh, for my first unit, but I'm really excited to um, see what unit two and unit three turn out. So what are your units again? So the first unit is um, a narrative and they can choose the genre to work in. Like you mentioned, this is a writing across the academic disciplines course. So we really focus on having the students work in genres that, you know, they can use, that they will be using in their professional careers or that transfer, you know, across the disciplines. Uh, My second unit is like a hybrid public argument type of uh, um, assignment, but I'm most excited about my third unit uh, because I won a grant, a program grant. Oh, look yes. at you, flush with cash. Uh, flush with $100. Is that how you paid for that Mountain Dew? <laughs> That's 100 PBRs at Firehouse. Oh, I like that. <laughs> um, but actually, it's more like 90 because you have to tip your server. I mean, you don't have to. Well, 
<laughs> you could be some kind of asshole and not tip, uh, <laughs> not tip your waiter or servers. But we are going to partner with Milner Library and their Make It space. And the students are going to go over there, make something, and then we're going to talk about the materiality of that production and where it goes. And then we're also going to tie it to like a sociocultural pedagogy um, thing too. Oh, very cool. Because they got like button makers and... Uh, a 3D printer. They have a 3D printer. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a there. They have other things, a recording studio, laminator, stuff like that. But you know, each station at the Make It Space costs a little bit of money, and you know, I thought that this would be a good way to uh, supplement the students having to use their own money to use the space. Yeah, because uh, students don't have money, and neither do we. No. So I, mean, I couldn't pay for it. Yeah, I mean, so if anybody out there with money. Wants to sponsor a couple grad students in this podcast. Perhaps, you know, it could be in the form of like a um, fellowship, like a $3,000 a year merit fellowship. We would appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we could stick around long enough and actually earn that money. <laughs> um, so coming up, um, we've got spring break in about 10 days. No, uh, a week. Oh, thank God. Uh well, are you doing anything interesting? I am getting drunk. Oh, yeah, Southside uh, Chicago Irish Parade? Yeah, so the Southside Irish Parade ah. uh, is, I think, the first Sunday of spring break. So I will be blackout drunk probably by 10.30, mm. 11 in the morning. Nice. Uh, I suppose you're going to be there with your brother and other family members maybe? No. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I don't go with anyone. I just go out to drink in public by myself. Because, you know, that's the self-loathing and alcoholism that comes with being a grad student. We're not going to edit out me laughing at Matt saying that. It's a disease. <laughs> Show me the respect it deserves. That will be cut out. Anyway. Uh, but, yeah, so that's going to be the start of my week, most of the middle of my week, and honestly most of the next probably eight weeks. While Matt is wallowing on in his... Whoa, there's no wallowing. Oh, <laughs> Well, I will not be uh, in Chicago for that long. However, I probably will be up at the Southside uh, Irish Parade. I will be in Pittsburgh for ATTW. Um, Very nice. Yes, I'm going to be taking part in the uh, Narrative Methods Workshop with Natasha Jones, Dr. Natasha Jones, and uh, Miriam Williams, uh, Dr. Miriam Williams. I'm excited about that. And then the second half of that week, I'm going to be presenting at uh, the Digital Praxis posters uh, presentations uh, as part of C's. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. I haven't taken part in an activity like that before, but I'll be there with my uh, digital presentation, uh, Uncovering Clues Using GEDmatch.com, Considering the Ethicality of Big Data's Influence in Police Tactics. Um, I'm excited about that and excited to see my friend Michael Day, Dr. Michael Day, who's going to be there with me. How's it going, Michael? Shout out. (laughs) If you're listening to this, probably not. Yeah, and then um, we'll talk more about our summer plans in terms of computers and writing and all kinds of other stuff uh, in the next podcast. Computers and writing. Yeah. Are you going to be there presenting, Charles? Sure am. Got a couple of acceptances. I'm excited about it. Oh, you got two acceptances, did you? Uh, Yeah. How about you? You know, we don't need to talk about that. (laughs) Well, Matt, while you may be a little miffed or upset that you won't be at computers and writing. See, that's why I'm going to spend all of spring break drinking, because of computers and writing. (laughs) Um, Just kidding. Computers and writing, I love you, and I'll probably still be there anyway. We'll do a live podcast from there. Absolutely, we will. Um, But before then, guess what? End of coursework. Oh, (laughs) let's get a high five on Mike. That didn't sound good. One more time. 
All right, hope, I'll just you know find one online and replace it with that. <laughs> but, yeah, so we're going to be out of coursework in, what, like two months? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, eight weeks. Tell me, Matt, about how excited you are. The thought of not having to take courses again and, you know, to be able to wake up at, like, two in the afternoon most days, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, depending on your teaching schedule. I mean, really. Yeah, here's hoping. But, yeah, it'll be nice to be able to focus on comp exams. I feel like I've got all of the three figured out that I'm going to be doing, and right. I feel like I've got a good start on my dissertation. Well, at least I have a topic. So. That's cool. That's great to hear. I um, One of the things that kind of is interesting about our program at ISU is that it's an English studies model program. It's not a specialty program yep. uh, or like a technical writing program or a rhetoric and literacy program. So um, there have been, you know, a handful, a couple of courses in the seminar sequence, like we're both retcom, techcom, yep. you know, what is a literature seminar going to do for us? What is a linguistic seminar going to do for us? Yeah, I mean, it is nice to get uh, kind of a perspective from all the big parts of the field, rhetoric, linguistics, literature, all the major players uh, in an English... Um, critical know, studies. English critical studies, because it is good to, you know, get that view of things, because... Well, a lot of us are going to be teaching 101s mostly mm -hmm. out of uh, our PhD program, so it's good to get that rhetorical foundation in it. Also, I mean, a lot of us are probably into English because we loved reading literature at some point. Um, so, I mean, I was an American lit guy for yeah. about my first year of grad school, Faulkner and McCarthy, and you did your master's in literature, right? Yep, I've got an MA, and uh, my focus was postmodern African-American literature. Yeah, and having a linguistics foundation, I know you're in a linguistics seminar right now. It's really interesting. I'm enjoying it. Um, it's it's more of a history of the English language than a linguistics, pure linguistics seminar. Um, and I'm enjoying it. It's, um, it's interesting. You know, one of the final classes I had to take as an undergraduate was a like a old English linguistics course that was really just fulfilling a, you know, a temporal requirement, right? Um, but it, it's kind of... Uh, ironic that that was the last class I had to take as an undergrad, and in my last semester of coursework in graduate school, I also have to take a, an OE, an old English class. <laughs> this is a nice circular, uh, circumscribed. I don't know some some fancy word for circular, but yeah, yeah that's interesting. Absolutely. Um, so well, I'm excited about the end of coursework, and to move into the exams and the dis and. Two years from right now, we're going to be hosting a completely different podcast, one where we beg you for advice for accepting job offers. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably have a special episode on how much money am I worth. Please give me that money. Please, I don't want I don't want to go back to adjuncting. Tweet your uh, numerical amounts of how much you think Matt Shearing is worth at the big rat. <laughs> I mean, I feel I'm at least worth $77. <laughs> Well, I got a hundred for a project with students, so <laughs> I'm not. I they got a 3D printer. I can't compare yeah. to a 3D printer. You are not a 3D printer. Shit, I can't compare to a laminator. <laughs> um, so I guess you want to move in and talk about some uh, article stuff, some actual scholarship. Yeah. So uh, on the other side of this little musical break, we're going to be talking about an article. Charles, you want to tell them what that article is? Sure. Uh, we are going to be talking about an article by Alice Dare and Liza Potts, Teaching and Learning with Social Media Tools, Cultures, and Best Practices. So I want to explain to the audience why I was unable to come up with the title very quickly. Because you weren't prepared and didn't have the article pulled up like I did? I'm learning a new operating system because I had to purchase a new computer. 
Yeah, you want to talk about your uh, fancy new MacBook there, Charles? No, it was bittersweet purchasing that. Now I don't get to eat until like June. <laughs> I can't even eat the hard drive just to stay alive. <laughs> I, yeah, as someone who also owns a MacBook, I can, I can relate to that. But damn it, it is so beautiful. <laughs> As we sit here in the, well, it's not bitter cold. We're up to 40 today. No, we uh, played basketball before the recording. Today, Charles is grimacing because he lost again. Uh, what was the score, Charles? 21 to 15. He did better than last time when he lost 21 to 14. So he's on a bit of a losing streak. So, you know, go give his Twitter page like a few likes um, because, you know, he'll have more likes than points most likely by the end of the day. While losing at basketball to sharing did suck, one thing that doesn't suck today is the weather here in Bloomington. It's actually quite nice, but I would bet that it's much nicer in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Why do you bring up Tuscaloosa, Alabama today, Charles? Because today and tomorrow is the Digital Rhetoric, Digital Media, and the Post-Truth Age Conference, and a lot of scholars in the field that we look up to are down there enjoying beautiful weather. Hi, Erica. I hope you're enjoying the nice weather. Hi, Erica. I hope you're enjoying the nice weather. <laughs> Amber Buck, I hope you're enjoying the nice weather, too. Didn't you say there's good barbecue down there? Dreamland. Go big at Dreamland, people. <laughs> Is that fake news, Charles? It's not. It's, it's really not fake news. Speaking of fake news, though. Yeah, speaking of fake news and... Uh, we have an article, the Darren Potts article we mentioned. So since there's a conference going on uh, similar to the subject, they talk about a lot of good pedagogical implications of social media. So we've got a few quotes we're going to bring up. We'll talk about them for a little bit and you know let the discussion go there so maybe you can generate some ideas for your own classes. How about I read our first quote? I like that idea, Charles. All right. Uh, this is a quote from Darren Potts. The largest group of social media users is young people. But where they are and what they are doing while they are there is not definitive. There are just as many spaces, tools, and rules for sharing, posting, and checking in as there are demographic categories. Therefore, it might be true that younger students never knew a time without the internet, but we cannot assume that they have equal access to it, consistent participation with it, or homogenous experiences as a result of exposure to it. So, right off the bat, I'm going to tell you I have some major problems with this quote. Okay, why is that? Well, they talk about young people. Okay. And earlier in the paper, they describe young people as being 18 to 29. All right, and that upsets you because? I am 31. All right. <laughs> so, I am no longer considered a young person. Darren Potts are calling you old. I had to learn from the, I had to learn that from a technical communications <laughs> article, Charles. <laughs> the, the media never told me it would be like this. I guess that's post-truth for you. <laughs> Goodness gracious, Matthew. Uh, but no, on a serious note, uh, this is a really good quote because mm -hmm. um, something that gets thrown a lot around a lot, at least it did years ago, is the idea of the digital native. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that, hey, this, this new generation, the millennials, Generation Z, they were born into the digital environment. You can complete that whole Bane speech if you want in your own right. head. And this idea, just because the technologies around, they're somehow super accustomed to it, or they know all the ins and outs. They know the effective ways to communicate using these various forms of social and digital media. But that's not really the case, you know, um, depending on how much a student actually uses it, what they do, how they actually make use of the media. No two people are ever going to have the same social media experience, even if they're posting like the same things on the same platforms. 
so uh, it's kind of problematic to perceive things that way. And I feel like that's a little bit what this quote's getting at. Absolutely. And for me, the word is foregone is the idea of equal access. Later yeah. on, later on in their article, there's this really interesting graphic. I really like it. Uh, but on the graphic, it says technology is a tool, not a learning outcome. And when we think about it like that, technology as a tool, not a learning outcome, I think that that bridges the gap or, or bridges to equal access, right? Because if we think about it as a tool, we think about students having access to that tool to to build their literacies and learn that tool, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that that's the way we need to think about it, not as something that we just, let's follow the, the template and learn this technology. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit later when we talk about um, a quantitative approach to tweeting. This chart is actually one of the things I highlighted while we were reading this article. This is something we should tweet out yeah, just definitely. so people can help uh, actually see it and visualize it. Sure. I think that the most important thing here or the interesting thing about this chart is at the top it says, uh, what do you want to do with technology? What do you want your kids to do with technology? And here are some of the right answers. Raise awareness. Start conversations. Find answers to their questions. Join partners. Change minds. Make a difference take action, and drive change. And the similar, th the theme that is apparent in each of these right answers is that we can use social media within a cultural studies or a social justice pedagogy of not only rhetoric and composition, but technical writing, whack and wad work, any class that we might teach. Yeah, exactly. And one of the really interesting points in terms of the right answers that you brought up was find answers to their questions. And I think there's a lot of work that can be done there with if you listen to some of our earlier podcasts, like the one on algorithms of oppression. So if we look at social media or just students using the internet in general to conduct research, uh, if they use a Google search, which a lot of them probably will do to find immediate answers, uh, a lot of that is tied back to uh, what they've searched previously. And they might look at that as, you know, this is objectively the truth. Google is just giving me the right answers, and they might click on the top two or three, and it's like, okay, that's indisputable facts. So if we think about, uh, you know, this idea of access, how students are using technology, that's something, especially pedagogically, we got to keep uh, in the forefront of our minds. All right. I was just checking our Twitter account, Matt, and it looks like we have a few likes this afternoon. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Mid-recording, and uh, people are already responding on the social media. Yep, I noticed that UA English Symposium liked one of our tweets. Oh, they did? Yes, they did. They liked the tweet, but apparently uh, not as much as they liked our proposals at that <laughs> conference. That's true. Bitter much? I, I mean, between that and computers and writing and... Uh, getting a couple articles rejected. Yeah, it's been it's been a tough couple weeks, not going to lie. But anyway, uh, no, much love to the UA Post-Truth Conference. Hope you're all having a great time down there. We'll see you in two years. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Um, okay, Matt, let's get back into the Darren Potts article. Uh, you have a quote you want to read? Yeah, so um, building off the last quote, talking about this false idea of digital natives and younger generations intrinsically being good with computers. I just want to take this moment to point out that it took Charles about 15 minutes to screen grab that last tweet from the article and post it on Twitter. If you're keeping up, remember, I am learning a new operating system. It, you're, it's still a computer, Charles. Right. Well, whatever. We've had classes in the Mac lab for the last three semesters. <laughs> anyway, moving on from that, 
uh, going back to Dare and Potts, we have an interesting quote on page 27 of the article. reads, This is, we acknowledge the difference between having an account and being a critical and sustained member of that social community, i.e. making an edit to Wikipedia page versus being a Wikipedian. Put simply, we caution against presuming that simple uses of social media connote critical engagement with it. So this is, when I read this, it just kind of blew my mind. It's like, oh, shit. This is this is really a really sound pedagogical way to think about things because agreed. The note I made in the com on the margins of my PDF, I was so for my internship, I want to teach multimodal comp sometime next year, and one of my assignments was uh, having students you know make a Twitter account and tweet about what it is they're doing, and that's not really enough, is it? I don't think so. Not according to Darren Potts. No, um, because. If we're just saying, here's a Twitter account, and this is how you tweet, send some tweets, that's not really doing a whole lot. You're not actually being a member of the community. You're just kind of doing a thing. So we are then opposed to a quantitative approach to using social media. Yeah, because there's not really a whole lot of purpose or meaning behind that. If you just teach somebody, here's, like, say, the mechanical way to tweet. This is how you write a tweet. This is how you send a tweet. Because then they're not learning, like, okay, what's the lingo of Twitter? Are they just, you know, typing up Mm -hmm. something, copying and pasting it into Twitter, and then sending it out? Because that's not how Twitter functions. Twitter has a very interesting you know ecology about it i would agree i think that there's a much richer knowledge and learning to take place when you were really think about the activity system aspect of twitter and looking at how that functions as a platform one of the things though that stuck out to me from this quote is that you know in 2005 i was a a freshman in in college all right that was almost 15 years ago 2005 2005. That was the year the White Sox won the World Series. All right. Well, not the most important thing that happened. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's let's not uh, be hasty there. All right. In 2005, when I was an undergraduate. When the White Sox won the World Series. Facebook had just been released. So, like, to uh, on a wider scale, right? That first release to the .edu. Uh, accounts. So I would have needed a .edu account to go on Facebook and post about the White Sox winning the World Series? You would have. but So I kind of think of myself as like a first-generation Facebook user. Now, that might not be exactly right because you might really think about first-generation Facebook users as the first group of people who used the site, and then they released it to other EDU domains. Yeah, so it was an MIT or something? I didn't see the Facebook movie. Where did all that happen? Wait, you didn't see the Facebook movie? No. It, it happened at, at Harvard, yes. I was close. Okay, anyway. Um, <clears throat> damn it, Matt. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. So we were talking about the 2005 White Sox, the ALCS for straight complete games. There's only one or two social media platforms in 2005 for me. You know, there's my MySpace, which may still be out there. It's got that iconic shot from the, the Shawshank Redemption of Tim Robbins on his knees with his <laughs> hands up in the air. That was your MySpace that picture? That was my MySpace picture. Was Tim Robbins in your top eight? Tim Robbins never made it into my top eight. But <laughs> at that point, we're looking at LiveJournal. We're looking at MySpace, and then we're looking at Facebook. Those are three platforms. You're just going to spit in Friendster's face like that? <laughs> Friendster. I forgot about Friendster. Now, the platform's 
are innumerable, right? It's it's an it is unfair and even unethical for us to assume that students are proficient in one to any social media platforms, regardless of the fact that they permeate every part of our existence. You can't just say, okay, you're a student, you have a social media account, you have a Facebook, okay, uh, make a thing on Tumblr. I don't know what Tumblr is or what Tumblr does. We're still trying to figure Tumblr out. It's, I think, something about falling down. I don't know. Tumblr, I don't know. Anyway, they're missing the E, and that frustrates me. That's <laughs> really. <laughs> oh, that was good. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so this idea that these social media skills are transferable and the fact that you can think, okay, the student needs to use, you know, social media uh, output X. That means I can just assign social media genre why and like okay do this thing because then you run the risk of just having them fall back on what they already know and just applying those social media genre conventions to something that might not necessarily sustain it so you know you mentioned live journal uh, maybe you're used to typing up super long blog posts like two three thousand words they say okay now use twitter well the student's first reaction might be okay copy paste into twitter uh, and just see a giant red minus sign with all the characters there over. It's like, all right, thread tweet, done. Uh, that's not how Twitter works. That is not how Twitter works. As a very wordy person who threads tweets, I know people don't read them. Perhaps highlighting the different functions of these uh, social media sites is of, of primary importance if you're going to talk about it in the classroom. Yeah, you might also consider spending some, some time doing like a social media ethnography of sorts. Sure. So have students, you know, don't just immediately send them out like, okay, you know, do 10 tweets this week because it might be more worth your time to say, okay, you know, find a community you're interested in. Search what, see what kind of hashtags are coming up. See how other people are using that. See how they're tweeting. And and again, if we're thinking about, you know, the technical communication, um, pedagogy and, and, and pro program that we're in, you know, as being cultural studies, social justice oriented, I think that the connections to thinking about social justice and hashtags are, are, is pretty apparent. And we don't really even have to keep going on, on that, right? No hashtag, uh, what he said. <laughs> third and final quote we want to pull out from the Darren Potts article is grading students on the number of posts they produce is fruitless. Instead, take a more reflective, analytical approach. If the goal is to create community, then consider requiring them to interact with each other. Ask students to evaluate their friends' identity performances in different social media contexts. Get them to notice how their use changes when they switch between mobile and desktop versions of the same applications. Invite comparisons of similar actions such as liking and on Facebook and pinning on Pinterest or retweeting on Twitter and reblogging on Tumblr. Create social assignments whereby students interview people they view as novice and expert users, synthesizing and visualizing the data when the transcriptions are complete builds pretty nicely off the last little discussion we've had, again, with these social media assignments, focusing on quantity probably isn't the best idea because then, again, you fall into the mechanical trap of students just doing something to do something. So let's say you're teaching a writing course and you say, you know, you need to write eight thesis statements. Students are just going to write eight thesis statements in this, in X, I'm going to do Y. Uh, that doesn't really give you a broad idea in terms of what is the genre of writing, what function does a thesis statement have in the larger ecology of 
you know, an annotated bibliography or a persuasive essay or whatever it is the assignment might be. So if we want effect, if we want students to effectively use social media, a big part of that is knowing what is the social media platform, what are the genre conventions, how do people interact using this, because you don't just want to throw in a bunch of uh, incongruent uh, features on social media. One of the things that sticks out for me from this uh, for from this quote is specifically uh, when they talk about ask students to evaluate their friends' mm. identity, performance, and different social media contexts. And I think that that goes beyond just thinking about the different functions of different social media platforms. We can think about things like privacy, right? Identity projection and things like that. The way that we use Snapchat, the identity that we might project on Snapchat because of its privacy, right? Yeah. Is completely different than what we might put on something like Facebook or Twitter that, that that's going to be there forever. Yeah, and just thinking about our social media identities in general, um, nobody posts all the mundane shit they're doing every day. Like I'm not like posting a Facebook like, oh, I did my dishes today. I uh, you know mopped the floor in my kitchen. Um, you don't post like the boring stuff, or you don't post like the actual reality of life. Like when. We finish recording today. Are you going to go home and write a Facebook post about how you got your ass beat in basketball today? No, I'm not going to think about it. <laughs> well, you should. <laughs> um, I think that this presents an, a, an interesting idea of teaching online identity as comprehensive and yeah. the way that each of these different social media sites and using them can form one comprehensive, cohesive digital identity, but this also presents the opportunity to teach digital identity as fractured, all right? To look yeah. at it in that way. Um, and, and maybe that's not, you know, the most well-received way of doing it, you know, or thinking about it in the field. But I think that it could be an inter could procure interesting statements from the students, at least. And this is, so this approach is something I really like. And if you go through and read this article, there's a list of, I think, 10 different? Yeah, there's 10. I mean, to various degrees, uh, the 10 uh tools or 10 heuristics they offer are useful to various degrees. I mean, and with any kind of pedagogical tool, it all kind of depends how comfortable are you using this? Because if you, you could have the greatest teaching philosophy or ideology in the world, but if it doesn't fit you, if it doesn't fit your teaching style, that's just not going to work out. Absolutely. I think, you know, for me specifically, I can only talk about myself, but I, I'm much more comfortable talking about uh, Facebook and Twitter in the classroom than I am talking about like WhatsApp or uh, Tumblr. Tumblr, honestly. Uh, Seriously, tweet Snapchat. us. Tell us what Tumblr is. <laughs> So reach out to me if you're going to be in Pittsburgh when I'm there. And if you uh, would like to give up your spot at any conferences this year, I'm sure Matt would be willing to take them. Yeah, so reach out to me with any conference uh, not showing ups. There's probably a better way to say that. Maybe that's why I didn't get into any of the conferences. Well, language and stuff. That's kind of important for our field, though. <laughs> but uh, what yeah. are you going to do this afternoon? Um, I'm going to go get lunch somewhere. Where are you going to get lunch at? I haven't thought that far ahead. Well, we're working on sponsors. Right now we've got, what, Mountain Dew? Mountain Dew. Yeah, if you want to sponsor us, sweet, sweet Mountain Dew. Sweet Mountain Dew. 
God, I love Mountain Dew. Well, listeners, join us next time. Um, hopefully, we'll be uh, with you in a month or so again. Uh, hopefully sooner. If you have any ideas for the podcast, maybe you want to be featured. Weren't we supposed to have a guest this time? I, I feel like on our first introduction episode, we talked about having guests on, and we, we just haven't done that. We haven't had any guests yet. We're still thinking about that. Um well, I, I mean, we'll reach out to you. But we'd we'll, prefer if you reached out to us, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. We don't really know how this part works. It's the Tumblr of our podcast. Yeah, that's uh, we're going to re-hammer. What do you do on Tumblr? We have a friend who has a book out. We do, We have, yeah, we well, do. We can have him. I don't know. Do you want to give a plug to his book? Maybe next time. No, let's do it now. All uh, right. Amish Trevady, your right. relationship to motion has changed. Out now on uh, whatever publisher he has. It's a Poetry Book Society uh, spring selection. Yeah, so uh, buy his book. Yeah, uh, from the publisher. From the publisher. All so right. it goes up, I think he told me. Yeah, his rating needs some work, I guess. <sighs> Ooh, throwing some shade. Well, he's a Bulldog fan. Oh. <laughs> Didn't, did they beat Alabama? No. No, oh. No, They be, did they beat Notre Dame? How I does, don't know. How does college sports work? Uh I don't know. People down at the UA Symposium, could you let us know how uh, college football works? (laughs) (laughs) Do they know about football down there? Uh, (laughs) Guys, I think we better end it right here. Well, have a good rest of the day, all you Redders out there. Yep, and I hope March is good to you. Mm